I'm your host, Michael Wiafe. And I'm your host, Demetria Wack. This is Policy Wise. Today we'll be talking about Fresno, California, a place near and dear to my heart. Fresno has historically been the largest city in the Central Valley of California and recently ranked the fifth biggest city in all of California. Fresno is also one of the fastest growing regions in the United States with 20% of the population growth since 2000. However, the population growth has not been met with proportional economic growth and perhaps even created more divergence in economic and social disadvantages. The Urban Institute's 2018 research on economic mobility in California's largest cities revealed that Fresno ranks 59th out of 59 for economic and racial disparity. In recent years, progress has been made to combat these issues, earning well-deserved recognition for growth in industries, real estate, healthcare services, and community engagement. However, still today, a large portion of Fresno population battles with chronic cycles of economic distress. Today, Demi and I are very excited to talk to two Central Valley leaders involved in the DRIVE initiative, which hopes to break these cycles by focusing on economic development, human capital, and neighborhood quality. Today, we're excited to have Ashley Swergen and Dr. Tanya Pacheco-Warner with us. Could you both introduce yourself in your relationship to Fresno? Uh, Ashley, would you mind starting us off? Sure. I'm Ashley Swergen, she, her, hers, and I'm the CEO of the Central Valley Community Foundation. Hi, and uh, my name is Dr. Tanya Pacheco-Warner, and I am the co-director of the Central Valley Health Policy Institute at Fresno State. Uh, Could you both talk a little bit about, and maybe we'll start with Ashley, about kind of like your relationship to the Central Valley um, and how this became uh, an important issue for you and and how you got involved with DRIVE in the first place? Sure. Well, um, I'm not native to to California at all. Um, I moved to Fresno from the Midwest. I was raised in the Southern Midwest, spent a little bit of time in Colorado, and then came to Fresno in 1987. I was a freshman in high school. And um, that sounds like a really long time ago. And it seems like just yesterday. Um, But you know, it was really, it was really odd as a 14 year old being raised in Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas, um, spending a little bit of time in Colorado, and then just landing in California in January of 1987, um, where people were wearing shorts, for God's sake. I mean, I came from, like, blizzard conditions in Colorado and rolled into town and like, every wool article of clothing I could find, and it was hot, you know? So that began um, just my experience with living in California for the first time. And um, I always expected that I would I would leave after high school and go back to the Midwest for college, but um, that wasn't in the cards. My you know my parents couldn't afford for me to go away from from home for school, and um, so I ended up just accessing kind of what was around me, and what was around me was an amazing state university at Fresno State, um, and I applied for a scholarship to go there and got an academic full ride for my undergraduate degree. And, um, and so I, you know, when I went to Fresno State, it was as if I was showing up for the first time, like an out of town student, because I had only been living in Fresno for a few years at that point. Um, And I remember just out of college, before I started graduate school, uh, I was just trying to look for a job, you know, like, obviously, that's what you do when you graduate from college, you're like, surely I could, I can work, right? Like, I got, I got my, my access to economic opportunity with my college degree. When I graduated, college um, in 1994 in Fresno, the unemployment rate was 18%. And that was like a yawner. Like you would say, you know, Fresno County, unemployment, 18%, 1994, no big deal. Because it was always 
high double-digit unemployment. And of course, I'm new to the region. And I'm like, what? wait, what's going on? Where are their job opportunities? And it was essentially professional services like healthcare, insurance, legal services, you know, things like that, um, government jobs, or, um, or very, very, very low wage, like production ag jobs. Like that was the range of economic opportunity. And so I hustled and, and found a job, which I'm super grateful for, um, and, you know, had access to a little tiny network and had a college degree and had privileges like the color of my skin and, and was able to like find a start, right, in 1994. And um, in those early years of my career, I was trying to like expand my network and understand better, like what opportunities might exist for me and, and my family. I got married just a little bit um, after that. And I started getting involved with the local chamber of commerce. And I remember um, being at like standard chamber of commerce events and and hearing faculty members from Fresno State give economic presentations, and they were talking about these economic cycles and in Fresno that like during peak seasons of agricultural employment, even then when our jobs are supposed to be at the highest, we still had chronic double-digit unemployment. And I remember as a young person just thinking like, why isn't someone sounding the like four or five alarm bell? This is a huge problem, but there's a huge there's a big difference between chronic economic distress and decades and generations of people experience it versus you know, in the industrial Midwest, when, you know, a, the big company factory shuts down and everybody's jobs are impacted, there's this rallying cry, people mobilize to get each other through it and to find new paths for that community. That's not, that was not the experience of the central San Joaquin Valley. So for me, that began, that began just my, my, my thirst to understand why is this economy working this way? And in particular, because as a kid, um, I, I myself remember my family went through bouts of unemployment and joblessness we always made it through just fine we had a lot of supports that many people don't have so i don't mean to paint a story that i was you know suffering in some way i wasn't but you know what even though i wasn't i saw the fear in my parents eyes i heard the pain and the the terror of like oh my god i just lost my job what's going to happen to our family and that only happened on two or three occasions in my upbringing but enough for me to remember it Years later, when I was like waking up and realizing I was living in a region where families across the board were experiencing that kind of distress every single day. And that was just something I couldn't, I couldn't live with. So um, that's when I decided to get involved in economic development. Wow. That was, that was incredible. And I think, you know, some of your perspective that you shared, I think a lot of young people are facing that today. Um, a lot of my friends. In fact, anytime I see a job opportunity, I just forward, I have a list of friends that I forwarded them to because so many of them are looking for jobs and that's not only in California, but that's across the nation. And I think you brought up a really good point, especially when you mentioned, you know, if those numbers were, were nationwide or, or in some other location, they'd be sounding multiple alarms, you know, it'd be a big election topic, but when it's chronic, it just, you know, people take it as the norm. And um, so I'm, I'm glad that you got involved and started to do something about it. Yeah, thank you so much. Wow. Okay, Tanya, uh, could you talk a little bit about your your experience in the Central Valley and a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, so I actually um, immigrated to this country as a child. Um, I, I was born in Mexico and I um, have lived in Fresno since I was seven years old. Um, one of the things that I feel like in terms of 
my upbringing from to what what has led me to be involved in things like economic development and all the things related to um, what I focus on, which is which is health outcomes, um, is that you know as a child growing up in Fresno in poverty, you know like like many you know didn't don't really know that you're poor until you're older or there's some like experience where you you realize oh wait a minute no not everybody is like this right and um i remember that um for me i think that now as a sociologist so i have my my doctorate in sociology um i i think back about those little points in time where now we try to study the systems in terms of where did I, what did, were things that were different for me that I grew up in, you know, what's, what's called kind of like the, the Parkside Fresno, you know, um, Clinton and Weber, like by the 99, you know, um, drive-bys being a, a, you know, common event. What was, what were the things that made me successful? And what were the things that made others and most of others around me not, right? And I just, the one thing that comes to me, obviously, in my early experiences was definitely education, right? That um, <clears throat> as, a, as a seventh grader, I remember going into a brand new middle school, didn't really know anybody because as a child, you know, housing, as a child living in poverty, housing instability is one of those things that we have to struggle with. So my family moved from, you know, even though they stayed generally in, in the same area, they would move apartments, complex here, you know, uh, a mile over, it's a different school, so school system. So that, you know, the, the level of instability, getting there, not knowing anybody, but then knowing that I was supposed to be in advanced classes, but not being actually in those classes, right? Being, sitting in my seventh grade classes and thinking, you know, wow, this is really easy. And I don't think I should be here. But, you know, my parents at that time were working, you know, 12 to, to anywhere from 12 to 16 hours a day. So they didn't have time to, and had the language barrier because we were immigrants to go talk to my counselor. So I remember for a couple of weeks, you know, going continuously to my counselor in seventh grade, being coached by my older sister, who was only in high school herself, say, saying, you've got to tell your counselor to put you in to gate classes. And, um, and if it wasn't like for my sister pushing me and me already having like an outward personality, you know, um, I would not be where I am today, right? And, and I think that that's, that's one of those things that I feel like is so important in how we think about people. Um, Ashley knows this story, but when I was in high school, this, um, you know, I, I went to visit um, Fresno State and talked to a college counselor and he asked me, oh, what, you know, what do you want to be? And I told him at that time, I wanted to be an astrophysicist since I was five years old, right? And um, he said, well, you're a woman and you're Latina. You're trying to go into a field that is for white men. You should consider something else. And I remember that, you know, really being pivotal into the career I ended up being, but also 
just even the resilience that it had to take for me. I had mentors that were like in college telling me like college was was the way to go, even though my parents didn't have that education. Um, you know, so I had all of these things around me that made me resilient that are not the norm, but the exception. And now as we think about what Drive is trying to do, it's talking about what we start with doing with kids since kindergarten to the time people enter the workforce, because that is really what is it's going to take, right? And as a woman, I remember even in college, um, some of my, my friends from rural areas coming into Fresno State saying, my parents don't want me to graduate. They, they, they think I need to go help them already, you know, and um, definitely graduate school is not in the cards for me, right? And, and so that is, these are the things that I feel like are the levers that we're trying to figure out and drive. How do we change these things so that, so that outcomes like mine aren't, you have to have all of these things working right in order for it to happen, but rather, can it just be an opportunity that's there for everyone? Wow. Um, thank you so much for sharing. And thank you both so much for being and like taking on the time to be uh, on PolicyWise. It is so amazing uh, to hear from both of you and hear like two products of the Central Valley, obviously in very different ways, um, but equally as inspiring. And um, I think you really summed it up perfectly, Tanya, of being, you know, like it's so impressive, both of you, but also it's terribly sad that this is, that it's like an exception to the, to the rule or an exception that proves the rule um, in the way that there's so much talent in the Central Valley that is just like, just like irking to be, to be seen. Um, and I, it, it, yeah, it's inspiring to hear you both. So, so thank you so much for, for both of your time. Um, Michael, do you want to start off with the, the kind of first question for our audience? Absolutely. Um, I, I'd like to also provide a few comments. Tanya, I, I relate to your story in, in a few ways. And I grew up in the Inland Empire. And so I'm, I'm actually the only one in this conversation, not from the Central Valley. Um, but I, I, I like to think that the Inland Empire has similarities here and there uh, it, when we look at the, the overview of the state. But um, I also am an immigrant to this country. I wasn't born here. Uh, and so some of what you shared, I, I think I could relate to heavily, but probably who could relate a little harder would be my my older siblings and my parents, because I was a I was a baby when we came. And so, you know, some of the path was already paved. You know, my sister was the one that told me, take this class, take that class, don't take that one, you know, take that one and kind of showed me the ropes. But um, we came here for education. And when my dad, well, for my parents' education, not, not mine. And so when, when my parents were going through their programs and uh, my dad tells me the story all the time when he was selecting um, the, the specification for his degree. And he decided to go down kind of the, the information systems, data science route. Um, and the response that one of the advisors had for him was, you're from Africa, you can't, I don't know if you have the skills to do this. Uh, and so, you know, just the fact that you almost have to be exceptional and to fight the rule in order to simply make it is something that I think is is definitely more under the rug today, but something that we should definitely think about and I think call out a, a little bit more in instances like this. So thank you, Tanya, for raising that. And I wanna ask uh, ask you both, and maybe you wanna start us off, Tanya, and, and if you can add on, uh, Ashley, what is Drive? Uh, you brought it up a few times. Would you mind just kind of overviewing the, the entire program for us? Yeah, so here, here's my my pop quiz, right? My my I think I think uh, 
Ashley has the elevator speech for what is drive. And I have the, you know, the researchy and, you know, kind of like the grand, the grand vision of, of what we're trying to do. And, and it really is this, um, this investment plan, which includes a lot of different um, investment portfolios into different aspects of our economy that are focused on racial equity. And the reason why DRIVE is, is different than other economic development initiatives that has, have happened in the, in the Central Valley and, and really in the, in the state that we've been able to see is that, um, is that we know that unless we attack racial equity at the same time as we're looking at our economic outcomes, we are not going to move the needle. And so that means we have to dig into the ugly parts of our history in Fresno that are, you know, tucked and swept under the rug. And then also not only peel that out, but then peel out how those ghosts are not ghosts, how they are actually live and present today in, in many of the ways that we do work, the ways that we hire, the ways that we do schooling. Um, and so it's, it's, it's really about economic development, but it's also recognizing that we have to change the way we think about um, racism in relationship to the economy if we're going to get anywhere and address it head on. Well, I would say that was a pretty good elevator speech, Tanya. So I don't, I don't have much to add, but um, just some practical kind of like if you're hearing about Drive for the first time. So Fresno Drive, Drive stands for Developing the Region's Inclusive and Vibrant Economy. And FresnoDrive.org is the website. Um, and I think probably just to add to what Tanya said, um, Fresno Drive represents a coalition of stakeholders from institutional leaders, community groups, uh, employer groups, et cetera, that are all together trying to figure out what will it take to transform our place so that we are no longer 59 out of 59 cities in California for racial disparity and 55 out of the 59 largest cities for overall economic growth over the last 30 years. So it's a big group of people using all their tools, all their skills, all their resources to, tr to, to peel back the many, many layers of that big onion and, and literally reform institutions, reform employer-employee relationships, reform physical place slash neighborhoods so that, as Tanya said before, you know, the things that she had to um, sort of jerry-rig to find a path for economic mobility so, so, so that those paths are more systematic and available for the residents of our community. So it means dealing with individual mindsets that um, have stood against this kind of change for a long time in Fresno and also institutional barriers that, you know, it's like cigarette smoke in a Las Vegas casino. It is everywhere. And if you're in it long enough, you don't smell it anymore. And that's what we're, we're like, we are awakening our senses to, um, to, the, to this place and where those barriers are. And, and the fact that they're there in the first place, seeing them very clearly, for some of us, it's, it's, a, it's a new revelation. For others, it is um, 
frustration that it's taken so long for people to see the barriers because they live the barriers every day. So it is choosing to deal with that frustration and continue to partner, continue to work together to do like a whole bunch of the, you know, the, the investment plans that Tanya talked about, implement those investment plans, um, doing it in partnership and with the end goal of, um, of adding jobs, increasing economic mobility for people who experience barriers today, um, and really taking that cradle-to-career approach that Tanya talked about. Amazing. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to kind of see some of the, the behind the scenes, uh, just so our audience knows. Uh, yeah, I, I interned at the Central Valley Community Foundation um, for a semester during my undergrad, um, and so I wasn't necessarily working on the uh, like on the drive component, but it would be like little pieces here and there. But oftentimes what would happen is like in the other room, there would just be like hundreds of people coming in and out. This is this is pre-COVID just for audience. <laughs> hundreds of people coming in and out, lots of different discussions, like really, really like just great work happening. Um, and I was just wondering if you could share like how this finally, like what kind of like drove like the final, okay, like let's do something about it. This is what it's gonna be. Uh, and then also like, how did this group form? And, and what was like, what's kind of like the mixing of it? Who's involved? I'm laughing because when I think about how we formed Tanya, it's like, okay, how do you describe the total chaos and tornado-like <laughs> experience that we've all been on together? I mean, so I don't mind jumping in on that real quick because the Community Foundation was was definitely the one like trying to spark the flame and then it just engulfed, you know, and brought it, it went into a completely um, bigger space. But um, I'll tell you from the community foundation's perspective, we have been undergoing uh, an evolution in the way we think about the role of local and regional philanthropy. And if you were to ask people at the community foundation 10 years ago what they were doing and why did it matter, they would probably point to the fact that they were passing through donations, like kind of small dollar donations to a number of community organizations in Fresno, um, like sort of random acts of charity, that's what we would like to call it. And um, and honestly, that's that's certainly needed in a community like Fresno in the Central Valley. We need a lot of sort of random acts of charity. Um, but but the community foundation started to question itself, like, hey, if this is our only level of activity, things just keep getting worse in our communities. Like, why is that? If we we think that these checks are actually making a difference, um, but but they're not because conditions are worsening. And so they really, this was before my time, started on a journey of going upstream and trying to, to understand root causes of the issues the charity was seeking to address. And so as the board made that turn, um, ultimately led to kind of a, uh, you know, complete turnover of the staff team and sort of an, a, a new plan for the community foundation, um, that all hit in about 2017, 2018, Right about the time our community had a chance to be involved in the Kresge Foundation's national initiative called the Shared Prosperity Partnership. And initially that was just envisioned as like, hey, in eight places across the country, we're going to bring in Urban Institute, Brookings Institution, Living City, some national think tank on economic policy. We're going to bring in some experts. We're going to provide some philanthropic support for CBOs and institutional leaders, et cetera, to get together and try to understand what's going on in, in these eight places in the country. So in, um, in 2018, we convened that first discussion. And um, it was really the first time in my experience that sort of people working on institutional responses to chronic uh, high unemployment 
and community leaders, grassroots organizations, people who have spent 10 years or more in the trenches with youth leadership development, et cetera, kind of all came together and saw the problems together for the first time. And people on the institutional side were like, see, see, we need more jobs. We need more jobs. Don't you see that? We don't have enough quality jobs. And people on the community side were like, who cares about your job count? Like, just because you add 10 new jobs in Fresno, that doesn't mean those 10 jobs are going to benefit the people who have been systematically blocked out of economic pathways. And it was like this, you know, like I said, that kind of this tornado, hot, cold coming together and people mm. starting to understand this problem holistically. So then that landed that. So, so my, my boss, and I, I'm realizing I'm going on too long, so I'll land, I'll land this part of the no, conversation here. Uh, the community foundation board was like, just can, kind of kept, kept um, giving us a longer leash as the staff. Like, we'll go ask that question. We'll go try to solve that problem. And we'd be like, guys, you know, we can't solve it by ourselves. We need to talk to these people. Okay, go talk to those people. Oh my God, we uncovered all this other stuff. Go talk to more people. So by 2019, my board was saying like, hey, we're all on board the notion of community transformation and upstream systemic change in our community, but we want to plan. We don't want y'all just to, you know, be flitting about having conversations like where is the actionable plan? And that's going to look like to us, where do we need to apply financial investment as a financial a philanthropic institution? And so um, we very innocently <laughs> called Tanya Bateko Warner and, and, you know, a few other people and said, hey, y'all want to get together and like figure out what our investment plan ought to look like for really dealing with the root causes of chronic unemployment in Fresno. And what do you know, that turned into 300 people in a hotel ballroom in July of 2019. At that point, the Urban Institute refreshed their economic mobility data nationally, and they just cut it down to like, well, look, let's just look at Fresno as it relates to other California cities. And that's when the 59 out of 59 data points surfaced. And um, that was the like complete smack in the face to, to me of like, oh my God, we are not talking about the real issues if we're not dealing with this disparity, first and foremost. So that's, that's where we started, right, Tanya? You were, you were definitely, in the yes, yes. And it's so interesting. I think that, you know, definitely as a, as a lesson, you know, in, in how we do work, it's just, um, as, as you dream big and want to make big changes, you have to be okay with failure. And I think that that's one of the major things that, um, that has been uh, so good about, about driving why I have hope in it is that, is that, you know, when there's been a misstep, when, when, you know, cause there is no, there is no guide to go to, to how to, do, you know, racially equitable economic development in a place like Fresno. And trust me, we ask people that are, <laughs> that go to every single economically depressed city in the country. And they're like, yeah, Fresno is so unique. We can't figure this out for, for you, you know? So, um, so I think it's really, um, it's really cool. Like how, this group, you know, I don't want to romanticize social movements and social change because there's a lot of failure and there's a lot of pain involved in it. But I think that that's part of the process and that's part of that's part of growth. And so many times, you know, in so many of the things that that have happened in in Drive, it would be enough for it to quit, to dissolve. And I've seen, you know, in I'm only, I'm only, even though that sounds super old to some of you, I'm only 36 years old. So it, it, but I also feel like, yeah, I've been in this world for, 
for you know more than 15 years now as a as a social change you know person and um some of the things that we've been through like for example um you know people saying like this is the wrong way to go and if you do this like this is going to be so offensive to everything that we've worked for and for some people to just say like no we're gonna go forward and we're gonna do it and for everyone to still stay in the room after that um is so rare um in in the work that i've been involved in in, in social change so i think that um that what what happened in that in that room right of people that never talked to one another right industry people with like activists and with like the education um educational leaders and i'm talking like you know the superintendents and you know all of those folks um and then ashley saying you know you guys are being too nice to each other and we can't we're not going to be able to do this if we don't trust each other to to say hard things to one another and i'm paraphrasing but you know i i i'm sure you remember that ashley and and i remember because it was it was going to be my turn to present something you know some factoid or something and i remember thinking yes finally okay i have hope that we're going to be able to get somewhere if we start peeling the layers and we're still peeling the layers of what it means now to involve residents to involve community-based organizations and what does it really mean for people to be quote unquote at the table are we really going to power share what does that actually mean and and how do we have to get folks to be like you know, right with themselves before we put residents at the table, because we know sometimes putting young people and residents can be such an oppressive move because we think, oh, well, now we have the token, you know, resident representative or the token youth representative, which I'm sure none of you have ever experienced before. Right. <laughs> and, you know, and and how that can be a massive failure. So we're we're learning how do we actually get to a place of power sharing? That's a really that's a really good question that you just ended us off with. How do we get to that place of power sharing? Um, as as you both are, and I'm learning a lot more about Drive. All I did was read a little bit what was on the website before, before this conversation, but now it means so much more. Um, thinking about kind of what went into it, the goals of it, kind of uh, uh, not only what's forefront, but also like behind the scenes and and kind of the way that it, uh, came together. So I'll I'll kind of out myself a little bit. I'm on. Uh, something a little bit similar for the Inland Empire, which is the Inland Empire Growth and Opportunity uh, Council and Steering Committee. And I just got on the executive committee. We had our first meeting last week and it's kind of getting off the ground. Um, and so I, I want to ask you both, um, what do you think the you know other parts of California, possibly other parts um, of the country can learn from the process that you went through? You know, Fresno is super unique, but if you could design a model where you're kind of bringing together all of these major stakeholders and people who have all have a vested interest in kind of the growth of the community, you know, what did you all learn and what would you want to share to, to other parts of um, other parts of the world, I guess? Well, I want to I want to jump on that because something Tanya said brought something to mind that that really feeds into that. Well, Michael, um, so I think one of the biggest lessons that I've learned so far in drive, and I would say that's as of February 2nd at 11.42 a.m. when we're recording this, because like 10 minutes from now, I'll learn something else, and 20 minutes from now, I'll learn something else. So there's, it's just like we're constantly learning through this journey. But um, I have learned that it, transformation of a region is not necessarily about having the perfect investment plan and the practical or tactical 
um, aspects of a community's response to its shared challenges. In our cases, it's economic development, environmental challenges. It's you know, it's kind of across the board. But it's not about like, oh, did you get your university research base exactly right? Did you get your workforce investment board to work exactly right? Did you get the you know? Um, it, it is more about what what will you choose to work on together? And um, that is every bit as important, if not more important, in a place like Fresno, in a place like the Inland Empire, is where where can you really begin to create this um, this shared space, shared leadership, and empowerment um, that absolutely will result in the transformation of institutions and neighborhoods and the employer community and residents' views of themselves and their opportunities that they have or they don't have in their community. It, it will result in that kind of transformation. It is really about the coming together. And I don't mean that, I, I appreciate Tommy saying, not in a romantic way and love like, oh, everything's great. I mean, when you are your most offended and when you are shaking from anger because you cannot believe that this ignorant person just said this or this, you know, this loud voice just confronted you in this way and you are choosing to be so, so, like indignant about what's coming at you in that moment will you push through and will you say gosh i wonder why this person feels this way and what do i need to hear what do i need to hear and what's coming at me um it's that deep and that important and it really i mean gosh so much of community change looks a lot like kind of the work we have to do as individuals in our own interpersonal relationships and so you can really just expand that across um, these bigger community dialogues. Um, so I think that's really the heart of the matter. I will say, in addition to that, I firmly believe in the approach that DRIVE is taking with the investment lens, because as the Chair Emeritus of the Community Foundation Board, Dr. Alan Perot would say, is that nothing, um, nothing is harder than attracting capital to a startup or to a community initiative or to whatever it is. So the rigor of attracting financial investment requires you to think through everything, have your operational plans mapped out, really be able to prove on paper that the investment will result in the following outcomes. And that kind of discipline, as a, having been involved in nonprofit and local government work, it is absolutely fair to say, we can sit around and talk too much and we don't get to the doing. And so, um, I constantly have this, you know, sort of the employer business-minded side of our community. It's like, just do something, just do something, just do something. Drive has forced us all to say, stop that. No, first, we're going to talk. First, we're going to understand and learn what the real issues are. We're going to, we're going to consider who's at the table with these discussions. We're going to align this conversation in a way that gets us different outcomes. When that is in place, then it is time to say, now, what will we do differently? And the, the, the discipline of a financial or investment plan behind that thinking will produce results. So um, different from a community plan or an economic development plan, the investment plan approach has, um, it, it brings a different, just a different level of rigor and we think results. Great, wow. thank you. Yeah. Tanya, is there anything you would like to, to add? The only thing to add really here is that, you know, the Inland Empire, you know, or any other place that thinks about trying this, it's really about, I think it's worth emphasizing something that Ashley said, 
it's not just going to require programs to change. It's going to require people to change. And I'm not just saying like, you know, those who are like commonly seen as the evildoers or the, you know, those, you know, bringing the social ill to the community. I'm saying like everyone, you know, the activists, the, the researchers, the business people, you know, the community-based um, organization people, everyone is required to change um, on the personal level um, because it's, it's a paradigm shift to, to say, we're gonna work together and we're gonna work together um, towards racial equity. Yeah. I want to just um, acknowledge too. So <laughs> there were there were such key leadership moments. There have been such key leadership moments in our journey so far. And I credit Dr. Pacheco like almost single-handedly with keeping drive on the rails in October of 2019 when our initial preliminary goal was get to a draft plan in time for the economic summit, which was being held in Fresno that year, and allow uh, people to, to bring forward this outline of a plan for Governor Newsom in, um, in that first economic summit in his administration. And it was creating a lot of stress for understandable reasons. We were going at it sort of back backwards and like working with institutional leaders and not really creating enough space for community involvement admittedly like that's i mean we are we are we are we are redoing a lot of things already because of that but there was a moment when there was a clear we are done we are not going to submit this plan we're out we heard those voices and dr pacheco was in that room now if i had said no you can't quit honestly it would have made people want to quit faster <laughs> because <laughs> of who i am and where i sit and what you know what i'm perceived to be attached to but when dr pacheco warner says I'm not quitting. I am drive or die. We, guys, we've got to do this. This is a great opportunity. That's what held that group together in that moment. So um, anyway, she's like, for so many reasons, someone who's just been instrumental in this journey. And that is a perfect example of the kind of leadership that's required. Saying things to your base that maybe they don't want to hear, you know, mm -hmm. and being that voice to your base and, and, and every stakeholder group being willing to hear hard things that they need to hear, which, which Tanya did. Yeah. Well, and I will say that, you know, I, you know, so many times, you know, young leaders will have to be that one dissenting, totally unpopular voice, even with your friends who to this day remind you that that wasn't the right thing to do, by the way. Um, you know, it's like for me sitting there at that moment, I could only think of all of the community members that I had engaged that said, we are tired of people coming to us asking for our opinions and nothing happening. And I just sat there and I thought, I cannot go back to these people and say nothing happened. They're, they've shared my, their pain with me. Like, you know, and I didn't know what it was going to look like, you know, 10 months from now. And I certainly didn't know COVID was happening. But, you know, it was just like, I cannot let just nothing happen again for these communities. And, you know, that's, that's the position that, that, you know, many of us will have to be in, you know, unpopular, but pushing forward because you have somebody else in mind that's not in that room at that moment. Wow. Well, I just want to say thank you so much. Um, like both of you, you know, I only spent like a, like a, 
I won't, I was only, it's, it's hard because I want to be like, you know, I, I was only in Fresno for a short time, but I'm like still there, but I'm not there right now. But I feel like I am. Like if anyone asks like where I'm from, like, oh yeah, yeah, Fresno, California. You're always welcome back. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to add to our employment base, that is, you know, we're, we're going to find a job to attract you back. <laughs> I know I am like absolutely like in in love with the central valley and it is just like such an amazing place and it's probably bad that i'm stealing the name like in a couple of years it'll be one of those things where like oh you pretend like you're from fresno because it's so great but like you know you're really from you know the central coast or something <laughs> like that um but really like i think it's so impressive uh just what has happened with drive and i think i you know i was sitting in like one meeting and i was just like observing one day during the internship and i i don't know if i saw the moment like there was like, a key leadership moment. I don't know if it was the one that Ashley was talking about, but I saw something where I was like, what? Did, like, I like I wrote it down in my diary. I was like, I saw the, the craziest thing today. And like, I thought this whole thing was gonna explode with all these adults were like fighting. And like, and I was like, what is this? And and then all of a sudden it was like resolved. And like, we and, like, things that's just resolved. a regular drive meeting. <laughs> no, it could have been any of the meetings. <laughs> really. Now, not right, right. That's just the way it was. We do it was it. like yeah. so amazing. And, and I, yeah, it was like, you know, as someone like just like interested in policy, like and like considered yourself like a young person, I was just like, wow, it's so great to hear like these, you know, all these people who just care so much talking about these real issues. Like it was like a deeply like it was a it was a deep issue. I don't even remember what it was. But I remember thinking like, why are we talking about this? This is so uncomfortable. Um, and it was like so well handled. And I'm yeah, I was really grateful to to witness that moment and just so happy that you both care so much and I just ho hope and I know the people of Fresno care so much and like I think this is why I'm so attached to the community and I hope that you know this really spreads in other parts it's just the humanity that's involved in this project and um that I hope that can be involved in other projects is like changing the person to really invest in the people around them I don't care about the people around them and Fresno is just so diverse and you'll really see every side of the every side of the spectrum um and it was super like I'm so grateful to even just see a moment of it um so to wrap us up because I, I know we're you know everyone's so busy saving the world uh maybe I could just get a question of you know how young people are involved in this plan and how much into the future drive looks uh and how you see young people being involved in the future yeah do you, you want, how about I take uh, just a quick hit and then I think Tanya you probably have really good words of wisdom there so I would say um, to date insufficiently directly. However, I credit the movement that we've seen with institutional leaders having a different perspective. We've seen very significant changes in political leadership. Like there's, like there's been 20 years of churn and change in Fresno that has created a ripeness and a fertility to this kind of work. Um, that's been, that has been in large part funded and fueled by, not funded, pardon me, <laughs> but fueled by um, investment in youth. So, um, so I really recognize and see that as probably one of our greatest assets in Fresno. In fact, it's crazy, 55% you know, of residents in Fresno are under the age of 35. So just like, like Tanya mentioned her age, she's 36. Uh, you know, she's like, a, you know, like a, a community elder already. You know, I'm 48 and I'm like, I'm, people are like- Thank you, let me go like, cry to done. the corner now. <laughs> Well, that's, that's why I added my age. I mean, I'm like great grandma, you know, at, at 48 years old, I was elected mayor at 36 and served 44, you know, like it is a young place. And so we see that we, it, it is a place where if you show up, people put you in charge, which is 
a dream come true for motivated youth leaders. Like I could live in LA and spend a lifetime and never crack into a meaningful leadership position because it's just so baked. So anyway, it's ripe. We already have received the benefits of youth leadership, but we need to be really intentional and specific and engaging youth as we go forward. Definitely. And thank you, you know, for even inviting us to this podcast. I think that as as right now, as we're thinking about what involvement um, residents are going to have, it's definitely um, been at our, at our mind, you know, how do we involve youth serving organizations, but also I would definitely love to see, that's the thing about drive. It's always evolving. Right. And, and like, like um, Ashley said, you know, we had like 300 people at that table, but now that everything's virtual, if we were to reunite everybody, it's probably at like 500 people now. And the, the thing is that I really want as this evolves um, for more young people to feel like they not only just have a, a say, but are actually um, part of the leadership that is investing um, their their wisdom and their time and their, their talent towards um, what Fresno will look like in 10 years. Yeah, that's perfect. I'm so glad, again, both of you joining us for this conversation. Now I'm over here like, dang, I wish I can, you know, spend more time in Fresno and get to know this community. <laughs> no, Inland Empire so needs you, Michael. Go, 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 go. <laughs> they need you. Lead. I, that's exactly how I feel. I'm, I'm actually in Berkeley right now because I'm in grad school, but I promise you as soon as I'm done, I got to go straight back home and, and support the community. See, um, Ashley, I've got to be in the attracting young talent Um part of the drive yeah. initiative we, we've <laughs> yeah. clearly shown we want we can we can sell fresno there you go. just did it <laughs> there you go you need to record that and blast it everywhere and, and you can help us by sharing this podcast <laughs> i'm joking but thank you both for joining us and this was a great episode and i already know i'm gonna go back and listen to it and i hope that the listeners also appreciated it so just again just a final thank you thank you for the invitation Appreciate thank you, you. Go dogs. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Policy Wise. We are your hosts, Demetria and Michael. Michael and I would love to hear from you. What topics would you like to hear about and who would you like to hear from? Check the episode description for a link to our survey. Thanks. Policy Wise is a production of Youth Leadership Institute in partnership with California Forward and their Young Leaders Advisory Council. Youth Leadership Institute makes sure young people are at the decision-making tables across California. And California Forward leads a statewide movement, bringing people together across communities, regions, and interests to improve government and ensure that the economy works for everyone. Jarrett Ramones produced this episode. Social media graphics created by Abby Peel. And the music was sourced from artlist.io. If you want to find more great youth content, check out YLI.org. And be sure to subscribe to PolicyWise on iTunes and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And leave us a review. It really helps. To discuss this episode, engage with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PolicyWisePod and hashtag your discussions with hashtag PolicyWise. See you next time for more youth voice and policy discussion here on PolicyWise.